0: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, September 28th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, state legislators are ready to green light a medical marijuana program, but not everyone's happy about it. Then, a conversation with equal pay activist Lily Ledbetter. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Legislators have agreed on a detailed plan to legalize medical marijuana in Mississippi. Today, we return to our conversation with State Representative Lee Yancey, who led negotiations on the issue. He speaks again with Desiree Frazier.
1: The state's role is to just make sure we have a a regulated program, and we would put the cultivators, the processors, the transportation entities that move the product from place to place, and construction entities that dispose of the parts of the plant that are not used in the making of the medicine. We would put the licensing and regulation of those under the Mississippi Department of Agriculture and Commerce. We would put the licensing of the testing and research facilities, the licensing of the doctors, of the patients under the Department of Health, and then the licensing and regulation of dispensaries under the Department of Revenue similar to the way that they use the alcohol beverage control to regulate the liquor stores. So collecting the taxes there at the point of sale and regulating the dispensaries. All of those agencies would answer to the Department of Health for making the Department of Health the overarching agency with ultimate responsibility for carrying out all the state's responsibilities. And then they would have to, uh, these agencies would have to uh, provide a report to the legislature Every year on lots and lots of data as far as, you know, how many people were in the program, how many cards were issued, what products were selling, what illnesses were being treated with what products. And we provide that information also to the research centers. So that's the role of the state in creating the program.
3: How will this be taxed?
1: So it's going to be your basic general sales tax rate, number one. That currently is 7%. And so, if that were to change to nine, it would go to nine. If it changed to five, it would go to five. But whatever the general sales tax rate is, and the cities would get back their diversion from that at 18.5% diversion from the 7%. And then uh, we looked at putting a 5% excise tax on the sale of marijuana flour and trim. That's the part of the marijuana plant that they use to the part that flowers and then the part directly around that leaves and stems close to the flower also contain thc and they use that to make the edibles and things like that and so because some of the companies would be vertically aligned meaning they would they would own a cultivating place they would own a processing place and they could do five dispensaries that's the limit that you can own that's the most you can own is one cultivation, one processing, and five dispensaries. You can own any combination. You can just own a dispensary. You can just own a processor. But the most you can have is that. And so we, we didn't want those who are vertical line to wholesale to themselves at a lower price than other people. And so rather than do a 5% excise tax, we did the tax based on weight. But we wanted it to equal 5% excise tax. So, we looked to see what the average price, the mid-range price of marijuana sale was per ounce in our country, and we decided that was about $300. Now, there's some that sells for less than $300, some that sells for more than $300. But at $300 an ounce, if you do the math, uh, to get 5%, you would charge a $15 an ounce weight tax, okay, because 15 is 5% of $300, Okay. If you're selling marijuana for cheaper than 300 an ounce, then that is going to be more than 5%. If you're selling marijuana for more than 300 an ounce, that's going to be less than 5%. So some people may be thinking they're going to be taxed more because they're selling the leaves and the stems and the things you know that's not the flower. So they'll pay a little more. But those who are selling higher quality flower are going to be paying less of a percentage than five.
3: How will you deal with small companies versus larger ones?
1: So what we're doing uh, on the cultivation side and the processing side is that we are providing a tier system, T-I-E-R, so that their license fee is based on the amount of canopy space, how much square footage they have where they actually grow the plants. And so... The, the less square footage, the lower the fee. The more square footage, the higher the fee. And so, and I'll go ahead and get into this part because I feel like it's going to be your next question, and it goes with this. We have a micro-cultivator category that is going to be only for Mississippians who have lived here for three years, at least three years. Only for Mississippians. And this is for people who are growing in 0 to 1,000 square feet, tier one. 1,000 to 2,000 square feet, Tier 2. And so a license fee for Tier 1 is going to be $2,000 a year. Okay, When you get up to the higher levels, we go all the way up to 100,000 square feet. Their license fee is going to be $100,000 a year. So the smaller growers pay less of a fee to participate than the larger growers. And as far as the processes are concerned, it's based on the amount of pounds of biomass that they process each year. If it's over 2,000 pounds or it's under 2,000 pounds, it's a different price.
3: Was there a major sticking point, or do you feel like from the beginning there was a, a coming together on this with the hearings?
1: The hearings were certainly very helpful to have a, such a variety of people from different aspects of the business and the medical fields coming and talking. Senator Blackwell and I have worked very well together, and we have the ability to be honest with one another and say, "Yes, I like this," and "No, I don't like that." You know, for the most part, we've been able to put some things in and take some things out. You know, I, th- I think the bill that we have now is probably not the bill that either one of us would have done alone. But together, this is a common ground that we found and are content at this point to move forward with what we've got. So you know, I respect him. I respect all the hard work that he has put into this because he's been working on it a lot longer than I have. Wouldn't be here for him. You know, this bill would not be here if it were not for him. So, uh, he's been the one who pushed and pushed and pushed. And then I came along back in July and was looking over his shoulder and I said, well, let's take this out and let's add this. And sometimes he said yes. And sometimes he said no. Sometimes, you know, we, but we both, you know, know, it takes two to tango at the Capitol and the Senate can't do anything without the House and the House can't do anything without the Senate rather than, um, you know, be adversarial about that. We recognize that, and we try to work together. And if there's something that either of us wants that's not in there now, we can always come back in January and offer it as a bill, as an amendment to the bill. So, um, and try to get it that way. I think we're content with where we are, and uh, you know, look forward to having a special session and and getting this going.
3: Representative Lee Yancey, thank you so very much for taking this time to explain the bill and speak with us about the process of going through
1: it. Well, this is how sausage is made. It's not always fun to watch, but hopefully the finished product will be something we can all be proud of.
0: So the State House of Representatives is on board with the bill, as is the Senate. But one state official is very much not. That's after the break. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi legislators have reached a deal to legalize medical marijuana in the state. That's after a citizen ballot initiative, Initiative 65, to establish a similar program failed in court. Lawmakers say they're hopeful the program will be straightforward and well-regulated. But Andy Gibson has concerns. Gibson is Mississippi's agriculture commissioner and stands to be responsible for overseeing cannabis cultivation in the state. He spoke with reporters yesterday.
2: The three questions that the people of Mississippi deserve an answer to are these. Number one, who is going to operate this expansive program? Number two, who is going to pay for it? And number three, and importantly, we all need to know how much is it going to cost? The taxpayers of the state of Mississippi deserve answers on all those things. And standing here today, I don't think anybody can really answer those questions. Now, we all know there were problems with Initiative 65. I know about the problems, you do too. Even the supporters admitted there were problems. But there are just as many problems in other areas of this bill as there were with that initiative. And part of the reason why this whole press conference could have been avoided is that this bill was drafted behind closed doors, outside the committee process, secretly three or four legislators putting it together without the opportunity for the people of Mississippi to have any input on it.
0: Gibson says regulating marijuana growers would require the Department of Agriculture to dramatically beef up its staff and resources.
2: This bill will greatly expand the size of government. It will greatly expand the size of this agency. And as a conservative, we're not supposed to be for that. So I'm really pleased to report that... Uh, the good news is I am in discussions with legislative leadership over the weekend, have been all weekend, am today. I uh, look forward to meeting with them, to hammering out the details of this, finding a way to make it a better bill, finding a way to make it more like what the people of Mississippi said they wanted to do.
0: Barring a special session, legislators won't be able to vote on any medical marijuana legislation until early next year. Coming up, a conversation with equal pay activist Lily Ledbetter. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Lily Ledbetter became a woman's rights icon when she took her employer to the Supreme Court over unequal pay. In the years since she won her case, she's worked in Washington and throughout the country to promote pay equity. She even has legislation named after her, the Lily Ledbetter Fair Pay Act of 2009. Now she's in Mississippi. Since 2019, the Magnolia State has been the only state in the nation without equal pay legislation. Ledbetter hopes to help change that. She'll speak with lawmakers on the subject at a Senate hearing tomorrow. She tells Desiree Frazier she's as committed to her cause as ever.
4: What happened to me and my family should never, never happen in the United States of America because it's a right that women get equal pay for equal work. And the bill was signed in 1963. And I thought I was covered. But I worked for a corporation that said, if you discuss your pay, you won't have a job. So I didn't find out until someone gave me an anonymous tip.
3: Let's talk about a little bit of what happened to you so people can understand where you're coming from. Uh, You've been at the forefront of the issue. Uh, You sued Goodyear Tire and Rubber when you were employed as a supervisor. That's correct. Tell us how that came about that you decided to sue them.
4: Well, I didn't know for sure that I was getting underpaid until that person gave me that anonymous note and it had my name and three men. We four had the exact same job. And when I saw how much less I was making than those three guys, I was just devastated. I humiliated. I just couldn't understand it. A major corporation in this day and time, how they could do this to anyone regardless of your sex, your color, nationality or whatever, it just, and first of all, I thought about all of the overtime hours that I had worked in my past 19 years working for them. And I worked night shift, usually 12-hour shifts. And it wasn't unusual to work two months straight, 12-hour shifts, seven nights a week. And that's extremely hard on individuals and their family. But I did it because my peer had a heart attack. The company had no one to put in his job. But here's the problem. My pay and my equal pay, which ran up to time and height, doubled and triple. It wasn't right. It wasn't what I had really legally earned under the law. And then I thought about, oh, Lord, it's, it's my retirement is based on what I'm earning. My contributory retirement was a match by percentage from Goodyear. And my 401k at the time was 10% of what I earned plus matched by 6% Goodyear stock. And someday my social security all will be depending on what I'm earning. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks in my stomach. I, I was just, I just wanted to run and hide because I didn't know where that note came from. How many people in this factory know this? And I didn't, but I Got through my shift, my 12-hour shift, somehow, with all the bigger it took for me to do that. I got home and told my family I had to file a charge with equal employment unless they objected. And I warned them that up front, if I started, I'd be in it probably eight years. Because they're not quick fixes or quick solutions in these cases. And big corporations, they have so much money. And they're so strong, and they can spin you out, they'll weigh you out, and they'll wear you out. But when I went into it, this had been such a devastating affair for me and my family. And when I started fighting, it was for Lily Ledbetter and her family. But when that verdict came down from the Supreme Court in 07, it was no longer about me and my family but it was about you and all of the other women and the minorities across this great nation because it's a family affair. It's a family affair and it's so detrimental to our American family way of life.
3: Mississippi doesn't have an equal pay law. A law was passed several years ago that municipalities couldn't raise the minimum wage that the state would go by the Mm -hmm. federal minimum wage. Your thoughts On moving the state forward and how it perceives wages for women?
4: Women, they bring to the table so many talents and so much detailed work. There's a difference in men and women in their work. And women, I think, are more focused, they're more caring to details. And when the companies who've already started a process of changing their policies and procedures and the states that have equal pay laws like New Jersey, Connecticut, the states are more progressive. They're successful. The bottom lines of the corporations who do this and implement these programs, they have a bigger net profit when all is said and done. And they can be more successful with their products and their services when everybody knows they're singing out of the same book, so to speak.
3: Do you find that it's uh, a challenge for some southern states to put more strict guidelines in place?
4: Yes, they start telling me uh, what all is wrong and why women aren't getting paid. First, uh, some of the uh, more educated people, they'll say we don't have enough education or training, and that's not the case because... I was friends with a doctor in New York that was suing the school where she taught because they weren't paying her what they were paying the white men, and she was white, but she was female, and the hospital was doing the same thing. It's not education it's not training it's holding women back in fact, a lot of your african American women are coming out of colleges with doctorates and Today, there are more women coming out of college with degrees than there are men. So that's not education. But they start, they use childbirth. They use all sorts of things as a rule. But a person that has their child and takes leave and comes back to work, she hasn't lost anything. She comes right back with the same abilities, maybe a little better. And this is critical in this country that we're disturbing the way of life.
3: Is there anything that I didn't ask you that is important to point out about you coming to Mississippi to speak before a hearing of the Senate Labor Committee?
4: I'm, I'm delighted. I'm honored to be asked because, and I do have it from the heart, because I've lived it. I know exactly how you feel when you look at your check and you know it's not what it should be. I know at the beginning of the month when my retirement check goes into my account that it's a whole lot less than it should be. It would have been so wonderful if it could have been what it should have been. What we believe as children in this country growing up, and I don't care how poor you start out, you believe you can achieve more and do better in life. And that's all that people expect. And people like women and minorities, they don't have time and they don't want to be in court. That's the last thing on your mind. I never believed that I would have been in court. Never. But I never was really angry about it. I was devastated. I was really more at the beginning of it when I had to digest it. I was hurt. I was hurt. I just couldn't believe this would happen in my country and my employer. I just couldn't believe it. But it did. So I hope that this will pass. It'll help Mississippi because I've made many trips over to Mississippi before and I've been on the campuses of a lot of schools. And you've got a great got some great education programs in that state. It's like Alabama, it's a beautiful state, and let's get it up front and equal to these northern states that are paying people equally and fairly.
3: Miss Lily Ledbetter, thank you so much for speaking with us. We appreciate your insight, your willingness to share your passion for equal pay and all that you're doing to ensure that women can have a better life, women and children can have a better life with their families. Thank you. Thank
4: you. Thank you. I appreciate it so very much and the best of luck and, and uh, we'll see what we can do Wednesday and talk to the their government